And I think there's part of me that's like, I'm, I'm just super competitive in general. And there's part of me that's, you know, says like, I just, I want to prove that I can do this again. Hey, what is up? Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, whatever time of day it is, wherever you may be. This is another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson, and I've got a really fun one for you. My new friend Lindsay Campbell is the founder of Lane Spotter, previously the co-founder of Showclicks, a consummate serial entrepreneur, and more importantly, someone who brings an absolutely vivacious energy to her dealings with other people. We discussed starting a company, fundraising, biking and the rise of differentiated forms of mobility and how it's going to shape society. I learned a lot from this conversation and I think you will as well. So here's my conversation with Lindsay Campbell. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. So Lindsay, Thank you for coming on my podcast. Yeah, happy to be here. I'm excited. I, I think that the most obvious place to start for folks is just to just explain your startup, Lane Spotter, what it is, and why the world needed it. Yeah, so Lane Spotter is a mapping and navigation tool created for cyclists by cyclists with a focus on safety. Uh, the idea for Lane Spotter came to me about two years ago. Um, I had just moved back from San Francisco to Pittsburgh. And I've been a bike commuter for years, but when I got back to Pittsburgh and my son was around one, I started riding with him and it just completely changed the way I looked at cycling. Um, as well as I know the roads in Pittsburgh, I wasn't comfortable making decisions about where to travel with him by bike. So, you know, I started thinking there's got to be something out there. There's got to be a way to figure out how to best navigate Pittsburgh by bike with my son. Bike Pittsburgh makes a great map, but most bike maps focus on bike infrastructure. So where are the bike lanes, where are the shared lanes, where are the trails? And what I found was that's deceiving. Just because there's a bike lane there doesn't mean it's the safest option. And my example of this, and I just had an incident on this road this morning, um, is Forbes Avenue between Braddock and South Dallas. And on a map, there's a bike lane, looks safe. You get on that road, it's actually four lanes of traffic going 50 in a 35 mile per hour zone, and it's not a protected bike lane. So I just thought, you know, the, you know, the best advice I always got was from other cyclists. And I thought, how do we just take the expert knowledge of all of these people who know the roads really well and get it online to be shared with other people? So that's how it came about. And yeah, now we're producing bike maps and safety maps in cities across the country and really around the world at this point. And so the data is coming in live from users, almost like a Waze would be for driving like that, that on exactly. demand, on man data. Exactly. So there are two map views right now. The first one is a bike map and that's basically the bike infrastructure. So we take the data, we either get it from the bike advocacy group or the city and get that in the platform. And then the other one is a safety map. And that's exactly, it's community source safety ratings. So the cyclists are rating the roads they travel in the city. Um, and then we have some additional features, um, one of them being alerts, which I really look at as being moving much more being like a ways for bikes, where cyclists can drop pins on a map on real-time road conditions, large potholes, bad road conditions, a bike lane closure. And then we're working right now to get that tied into city 311 platforms so that those issues can actually be resolved. So we're making real change as a community in the cities where we're working. 
Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Now, were you someone who was always very active and it's just always been a part of your life? Or was there at some point where you're like, I need to make a change. I'm going to get really into biking and fitness and all these other type of, we were talking about like what you're eating for breakfast. So you're clearly on the, the health kick. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I've basically been somebody who's been active, healthy, working out in some way, honestly, probably since I was 13 or 14 years old. Okay. Um, The biking started, I didn't, but I lived in, I've lived in Pittsburgh. I've lived in New York. I've lived in LA, San Francisco. I didn't really start biking, like commuting to work until it was probably eight years ago, nine years ago. Showclix, which is my first software company, um, Showclix moved downtown and I was living in Lawrenceville. And one day I parked my car and I'm like, wait a minute, why am I driving two and a half miles and paying $13 a day? Why don't I get my bike out? So I had been like a kind of a recreational cyclist, like I'd ride the trails and that sort of thing. But that's really what pushed me to become a bike commuter. And there was really no turning back at that point. Now it's a a hugely important part of my life. If I don't ride two days in a row, I start to get antsy. I I always think that that's one of the underrated components in general success but as it pertains to entrepreneurship there's kind of this glorification of the you know don't get enough sleep always working Mm -hmm. eat fast food so that you can just stay in front of whatever Mm -hmm. the project is but the energy that I get I I work out every once in a while and and the energy that you have to just attack the day when you're in the right physical condition when you're fueling your body with the right stuff actually plays a huge part in the success of your business endeavors oh absolutely I mean I Uh, you know, I commute to work in the morning and I tell people all the time, like, I feel so good when I get to the office, like, you know, the adrenaline's kicking, you know, I just, you know, I broke a sweat, I got some fresh air and yeah, I'm ready. Like I'm so much more prepared to deal with all of the things that come with being an entrepreneur at that point. Um, It's not only just kind of an exercise, but there's a kind of a, a mental component to this as well, where for me, it's stress relief, it's anxiety relief. And I tell people this all the time, like if I'm stuck on something, I go for a ride. I come up, I've come up with some of my best ideas. Well, what I consider my best ideas while riding. Um, sometimes when I just need to work through something, that's where I go and do it. Awesome. So serial entrepreneur is another one of these monikers that people love to put yeah. on like the first line of their LinkedIn profile or yeah. something. But you really have gone through an entire, you know, nine year process with a company prior to Lane yeah. Spotter and Showclicks. So can you talk a little bit more about what Showclicks was? Yeah. Um, and, and how that got started? Yeah, I um, Showclicks, I... <laughs> I always joke that I, the day that show, so Showclix was acquired this past August and the day it was acquired, I happened to watch a documentary on the Grateful Dead and the very first screen that popped up said a long, strange trip. And I'm like, that's exactly what this has been. So that long, strange trip started in, toward the end of 2006, beginning of 2007. I had moved back from, where was I before that? Los Angeles. I'd moved back from Los Angeles at that point. I was doing a lot of uh, freelance and contract work in media. So I had been a web producer for WPXI and just some other stuff for, for WPXI. And I fell in love with the internet. And I fell in love with digital marketing, really, at that point. And I decided to go and work for a completely internet-based company. Um, it was called Spreadshirt. And three months after I started there, my business partner from Showclicks walked in the door. And we met, clicked, and it was just kind of full speed ahead at that point. So Showclicks started out as a live event search engine with a light ticketing component. And as most 
companies do. Um, we went through kind of some transitions and pivots and ultimately became a full service event ticketing company. And we have, as of right now, um, big focus on the Comic Cons. A lot of museums use the platform. And it's just, I'm, I'm really proud of what it's become. Um, I wasn't able to grow it to what I really wanted it to be with the investors that we had at the time. But once we were acquired in August, it's been so fun to watch this thing grow as fast as it has over the last like nine, 10 months. So uh, you don't obviously have to share any numbers that you're mm-hmm. not privileged to disclose or, or mm-hmm. prefer not to, but as terms of how an acquisition like that works, mm-hmm. there's, there's, it's always different, but some people just haven't been in that experience. Yeah. Getting acquired payout up front versus an earnout sticking with the company and seeing that transition into new ownership. How did that work? In yeah. Your case? So for me, it was a little, Josh and I had both left show clicks um, okay. before the acquisition. So he left a couple years before I did. And then I left about a year or two before the acquisition. I left when I had my son, I decided to take a step back and, and kind of focus on that. So for us, we weren't as involved in the negotiations, I would say, but you know, it was a private equity company. So they were really looking at it as a strategic investment. And they've gone in and really started, it's like been a mid-market roll-up. So for Josh and I, you know, it was, we made the majority of our money, you know, up front when the acquisition took place. Um, And then there was a little bit, you know, that we're kind of waiting on still at this point. But I mean, for the people who are still there and the people who have, are part of that parent company, um, yeah, they, they've signed agreements. They are working, I think, for two more years. Um, They're committed to kind of growing this thing and seeing where it can go. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. And in terms of bringing that experience into what you're doing now yeah. with Lane Spotter, I'm sure that there's probably too many lessons, too numerous to mm-hmm. to list all at once here. Always. But there's always, as you transition from one chapter of life to the next, some kind of core tenants or changes or lessons that you take with you yes. that inform the next step. So maybe in, in broad strokes, can you speak to uh, in this serial entrepreneur narrative, mm-hmm. the transition mm-hmm. from one chapter to the other and what you're bringing to Lane Spotter that maybe you didn't I don't know, get to access with show clips. Yeah, so one one thing that stands out most to me is really work-life balance. I think I learned over the course of those 10 years with show clicks that um, it's really important to do the things that make you happy personally. You can, I mean, I'm still a workaholic, don't get me wrong, um, but I find the time to go for those bike rides. I find the time to unplug with my son and go to Frick Park and go to the playground. So I think that was one of those things. And maybe just getting older, too, I started to just appreciate more what it means to have good work-life balance. Um, Another one is, you know, I was, Josh and I were younger uh, when we started Show Clicks. And I think there's part of being a first-time entrepreneur for some people where you kind of think you know everything or you think you have the inside track on, you know, what it is the, the customer wants. And we didn't we didn't connect as closely with our potential users as I think we probably should have looking back. So one of the things I've really adjusted um, in starting Lane Spotter is just really talking to all of the different people who are using the platform, whether they be daily commuters, bike advocacy groups, um, recreational riders. In fact, when I send out emails at the bottom of every email, I encourage people to schedule calls with me. So I just, I block off two days a week. I block off two hours each of those days and anybody can schedule a call with me. 
And I have, I've had really interesting conversations with people around the world who are just passionate about bikes. And that's one thing I didn't, I didn't do at show clicks. I didn't really connect at that level with the people who were going to be using the platform. Have you ever gotten explicit advice not to do that? Or do you feel like it's more implied by productivity or business culture that you don't just like open up your time like that to be taken by other people? Yeah, no, I mean, I think there are people who probably think that I should vet, you know, these people who are scheduling these calls with me. But my thought is if they've taken the time to actually like look at my calendar, find something that works for them, schedule it, like they clearly want to talk about something. They clearly have something to say and I'm building for them. Right. So I, I feel like I should give them that time. And, you know, most of the calls honestly have been really productive, eye opening. I mean, I just had a call last week with a woman in Amsterdam who was just really excited about this. And what was great about that is I got to pick her brain on what she thought would work in Europe versus the United States. And it was it was interesting. It was a really interesting call with great takeaways. And I kind of I have some additional insight onto how I would potentially launch in a city like Amsterdam now. The other thing I'm taking away from that, too, is just the humility. Like, so maybe it's not necessarily something like, oh, you shouldn't do that. Yeah. But there's this, whether it's the productivity school of thinking or the four hour work week where you're, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm going to control all my time. And this is the only time yeah. I, I answer my inbox or things like that. Yeah. It's much more. I have the humility to go out and say, I don't know it all. Yeah. And I'm trying to create this space in my day where I'm the learner. I'm the central intelligence agency, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and I am, I'm always educating myself. I, I will never stop um, going to school, if you want to put it that way. I mean, I just downloaded an online course um, this week called Urban or Mapping Urban Data. You know, like I'm just always, I'm just I'm a naturally curious person. um, And I think that is something that you'll find with a lot of entrepreneurs. You almost have to be naturally curious. I always have a lot of questions. I really want to, I love research. I want to know everything there is to know about whatever it is I'm focused on at that time. So for me, I do look at that as an education or a learning experience. Uh, your relationship to raising capital, my research said that you raised somewhere between one and two million with show clicks. Mm-hmm. Um, in this endeavor, uh, are you thinking about raising capital? Is that something you're, you're not as interested in? What's the general thought process? Yeah. About so I, we ended up raising five million with show clicks. Um, the first round of that came from Innovation Works, and I've continued to have and maintain an amazing relationship with, with Innovation Works. They're super supportive. Um, with Lane Spotter, I have really, I've gone back and forth as to do I want to raise VC money or do I want to try to do this in a way that's more organic where I'm not beholden to, you know, a right. board. That being said, this is, it's a tech company when it comes down to it. And they're, you know, it's, it's hard to grow something at the rate you need to grow it to capture market share without raising money. So I went through the Alpha Lab Accelerator program here in Pittsburgh. I raised a very small kind of pre-seed round of funding after Alpha Lab. And I actually am working on another round of funding now, but not, not an institutional round. It's going to be kind of convertible note, angels, uh, people who I'm connected to and know and want them to be part of the business. Another takeaway really from ShowClicks, and I, I, I love working with um, younger entrepreneurs. I, I really do. And a piece of advice I always give them is 
you know, when you're considering taking money from someone, don't just sit down with those investors in a conference room or boardroom. Go have dinner. See if they'll go have a beer with you. Like you, you want to like these people. They're going to be a big part of your life. And I know everyone says and it's cliche. It is like a marriage, but you want to make sure you're on the same page. You want to make sure you work well together, that you have a good relationship. Because if not, your life is going to be pretty miserable, you know, every time you have to sit down in a boardroom with them in the future. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about the scaling of it, there's the technology aspect. And then mm-hmm. also you alluded to earlier in this interview, um, this kind of background in digital marketing and getting the word out there. Yeah. How it seems like to some degree, like I think I started using Waze if we're using that analogy mm-hmm. because two friends said, oh, you got to use this because I know you drive and, and yep. we don't want to get tickets or what have you. I'd imagine there's a similar you know, net promoter referability sure. component to users of LaneSpotter. Is that what you found? Absolutely. I mean, I've spent very little money on marketing um, to date for LaneSpotter. I've been able to launch it in the cities, in 10 cities around the country at this point through mostly partnerships and word of mouth. Um, and that's been really interesting. I think one of the things about this business and the target market being cyclists is it's a really passionate, engaged community. Um, People who ride a bike love riding a bike. They want other people to ride a bike. They want the roads to be safer. Um, So it's it's been a really fun community to plug into versus the entertainment industry was kind of grueling, a little bit tough. People are, you know, it's, it's not as friendly, we'll say. Whereas, you know, I get to go I, you know, I get to go into cities and sit down with people who are trying to install bike lanes and who are pushing for education around bike safety. And it's something I'm really passionate about and I love. So it, it makes work so e- It doesn't feel like work. This really doesn't feel like work. Yeah. The, the one thing that's apparent to me just in the short time of having met you and known you is you talked about work-life balance and, and having time for the things you enjoy. Mm-hmm. There's a very positive energy that you have. Carrying. I mean, you're, you're wearing like the, the riding jersey, <laughs> yeah. but in general, the smile, the just energy that you brought into the room, mm-hmm. it's clear that there's an alignment beyond, I think I can make some money doing this. Like there's, there's oh, clearly yeah. a, a real tie to yeah. purpose and a tie to passion. Yeah, this is, this is a very mission-driven um, venture for me. In fact, when I had to go through the process of registering the business. I chose to register as a public benefit corporation. That's my next question. (laughs) Yeah, I chose to register as a public benefit corporation. And part of that was to protect the mission that I have, which is to help make the roads safer for cyclists around the country. And when there is a revenue component to this, I want to be able to donate a percentage of that revenue back into the cities. Um, so that they can install bike lanes or do whatever it is that they feel like the the specific need is in that city. So, yeah, this is a very mission-driven business for sure. So let's take that one-on-one. How does a B Corp work? How is it different from other business arrangements? B Corp, when it comes to the structure of the business, is basically the same thing as a C Corp. So you still have a board. You can still raise um, the institutional funding like you can with a C Corp. The the big difference is that your mission and values are protected. So if um, investors came in and said, you know, we don't want you to donate that revenue because I registered as a B Corp, that kind of aspect of my business and mission is protected. So, you know, if 
a an investor doesn't want to invest because I'm a B Corp, I probably don't want them to be an investor anyway, because I want to make sure that I'm bringing people into this who are as aligned with that mission as I am. When you're having these conversations with investors, I would imagine that the conversations are easier or more doors are open, not just because of the pre-existing network that you have, mm-hmm. but when you have landed the plane or effectively had an acquisition already, there's just a a greater willingness by investors to hear you out and hear your pitch and consider working with you. Have you found that to be the case? Yeah, I I think so. You know, and the other thing, and I I didn't realize this until recently, I want to prove that I can do it again. You know, there's part of this that like, I don't, you know, was show clicks luck or was show click, whatever it may be. And I think there's part of me that's like, I'm, I'm just super competitive in general. And there's part of me that's, you know, says like, I just, I want to prove that I can do this again. And it definitely helps that, that we had the acquisition and that we grew show clicks and in a pretty organic way with not a ton of funding. I think it, it shows the dedication that that early team at ShowClicks had to making this thing a reality. So yeah, it's it's opened some doors. But that being said, Lanespotter is a very different business from ShowClicks. Um, ShowClicks was B two B, very straightforward revenue model. Where with Lanespotter B two C, um, I'm much more focused on growing the community and collecting all of this safety data right now. And I'm not focused on the revenue model at this point. So finding investors who see the potential, it's, it's a kind of a more long-term play in some ways that see the potential of what this can be. Uh, that being said, timing, so there's been, you know, kind of five, five things I always think about it being an entrepreneur. It's passion, patience, persistence, timing, and uh, serendipity. And a lot of those things are starting to come together right now with Lane Spotter and it's I'm, I'm pretty excited about where the transportation and mobility industry and space is right now when it comes to technology. So maybe let's talk about that kind yeah. of trend in general. Oh, um, yeah. Are there metrics you can throw at us or just in terms of more people? Being yeah. In bikes? So when I when I started this, when I started doing a lot of the market research two years ago, bike commuting was on the rise. It's leveled off a little bit. But what has happened in those two years that I think I, you know, I saw it coming in some ways, but I don't know if I saw it coming so fast is um, the explosion of bike share. So you see the healthy ride bikes around Pittsburgh. Um, in other cities, Washington, D.C. is a great example of this. I was down there in March for National Bike Summit, and there were four different bike share options that I saw during my three days in the city. And they're not just docked systems anymore. They're dockless. Um, and what that means is you open an app and there could be a bike anywhere. Um, that you grab, unlock, ride, and then you can leave it anywhere. So you're not kind of beholden to where the bike share organization put the stations. I think that's going to be a real game changer for bikes. There's a lot of money being dumped into bike share. Investors, a lot of people are investing. Uber just acquired a bike share company for $200 million a couple weeks ago. Um, Ford has also invested in bike share. Mm-hmm. So there's just, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on. And then there's this secondary trend, which is electric scooters. And the, have you seen, have you seen yeah. these? They are blowing up, in, especially in San Francisco. A, a friend of mine's in San Francisco right now. And I'm like, please rent one of these scooters and take a video or picture for me. Um, I'm, dying to, I'm dying to try one. And I think what's going to end up happening if we're looking at trends, I think cities are going to have to really start to control how these modes of transportation are used 
and there's going to be policies created and you're not going to be able to ride these scooters on the sidewalk. They're going to be like, these scooters go 13 miles an hour. Like you have to be on the road. Mm -hmm. So a bike lane might not be a bike lane anymore. It could be this part of the street that is used by anyone who's trying to navigate on two wheels and you're seeing a lot of electric assist as well. So um, the bike share company that Uber just acquired, um, it's called Jump, and they're all electric assist bikes. So they're looking, you know, they launched in San Francisco. There are a lot of hills there. Not everyone can bike San Francisco, yeah. but on an e-bike, you can. So, you ride the bike down the hill. And yeah, then like, yeah. And then you're like, yeah, <laughs> you're, yeah, you're in trouble at that point. So yeah, yeah I think there's, there's a lot going on. Mobility is just a really big topic of conversation. Urban centers are becoming more and more congested. Traffic is getting worse in cities like New York City. And all of these cities are saying, like, what can we do to alleviate this? Mm -hmm. You're also seeing a younger generation of people who um, are using Uber and Lyft. They're not buying cars. Um, they're choosing public transportation, bikes, and rideshare. So it's just... The, the, Piecing it's, it all Yeah, together. everything's just starting to shift. And I think you're going to see this over the next five or 10 years in all of these cities. So... I'm I'm super media marketing advertising oriented, mm -hmm. and when you were talking about the the bike sharing, it, mm -hmm. it reminds me of one of one of the stories. I just keep repeating it to people. I don't think I've actually talked about it on the podcast yet, so I'm excited. Oh, to. cool. Um, in in New York, it's all city bike, city bike, yep. and that Citibank did this branding play where they yes. paid for all the bikes and put the mark on there, and how that is just the future of natively integrated advertising yes. where instead of it being this tax or this burden where I'm interrupting your favorite show, yep. I'm going to provide this service to the city. I'm going to fund it yep. and we're going to put city bike and half the people don't even process that it's tied to city bank because it's just, well, city bike, I'm in the city. I guess they misspelled city with an I right. or something. But I just think that there's, there's also this immense potential mm -hmm. for large corporations to play a part in mm -hmm. that transition and, and Ford did this. Um, Ford actually, the company they acquired is called Motivate, which runs City Bike. And then what Ford did is they rebranded in San Francisco and they launched them all. They call them Ford Go Bikes. Yeah. So now again, you're seeing, you know, the the name of this automobile company on all of these bikes across San Francisco. And I think another thing that goes along with that is these automobile companies are all transitioning into mobility companies. Yep. Um, it's not about just being a car company anymore. It's about how do you move people from point A to point B? And there's a lot of different ways you can do that. But yeah, I mean, it's getting there. The branding um, is, it's big with bike share for sure. You're seeing a lot of large companies put their names on it um, for a variety of reasons. And in Pittsburgh with Healthy Ride, it's Highmark. And a, there's a lot when it comes to healthcare. Um, and just being healthy, promoting a healthy lifestyle that it makes a lot of sense in that space as well to partner with bike share. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, that's a, about all I have from the question standpoint. Before yeah. we ask our last few questions, um, one of the things we've just been asking entrepreneurs recently is for a pain point or a frustration or, or something that is not necessarily holding you back, but in your current state of affairs, what's mm -hmm. a pain point that you're dealing with on a regular basis? For me, the fact that I started this as a solo founder has been um, difficult. It's you know, there's pros and cons, right? Like I can make decisions really quickly. I can move on things without you know having a lot of back and forth between a group of people. Um, that being said, not having a technical co-founder has been hard. In just I've had to be creative about how to get the platform built and who I'm working with. And um, I'm hoping that's going to change very soon. A um, couple things. Yeah, here. a couple things in the, in the pipeline. But that's definitely been a pain point of I 
I haven't been able, I don't believe, to move as fast as I'd like um, just because of that kind of hole in the team. Um, th- um, that being said, I'm lucky that I have a lot of friends who are software engineers um, and they've helped a ton. Um, whether or not it's actually doing some of the work, connecting to me to people who can do the work. So, but yeah, that's that's my pain point right now. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Anything else you want to share today before we ask our last two questions? I didn't give you a chance to. Um, I don't think so. Cool. Yeah, great set of questions. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I'm sure people are going to want to follow along with everything that you're doing, or if they happen to be a cyclist, mm-hmm. um, want to use Lane Spotter. So, what digital coordinates can we give people to learn more? Yeah, so you can visit the website, which is lanespotter.bike. Um, if you want to connect with me, um, I actually am pretty active um, on the Lane Spotter Facebook page. So you can connect with us through Facebook. And then personally, um, for me, it's Twitter and Instagram. So you can grab. And I'm, I'm lucky that on Twitter, I actually got at Lindsay, which is L-Y-N-S-I-E. Which is which is why, right? Because I have the, yeah, the ridiculous the spelling name. of my first name. Thanks, Mom. Um and yeah, so to track me down, I love, I love talking bikes. I love talking bike safety. I love talking maps. It's another thing. Like I'm actually headed out to San Francisco at the end of the month. Um, we work very closely with Mapbox. They have a big mapping conference out there. Yeah. So I'm a little bit of a map nerd as well. So if you love maps, connect with me. But yeah, I, I love, like I mentioned before, I just love having conversations with people and hearing what their thoughts and ideas are. And everyone approaches uh, cycling and transportation in general. Everyone approaches it differently. Everyone has their kind of tips and tricks that they like to share and I I love hearing them. Do you think parents should try to give their kids a more distinct name so that they have that distinct title? Yeah I I think I I like it um, but I the one thing that will haunt them forever is that they're not going to be able to get stickers for their pencil box. I'm still, I'm still thinking about this. I mean, I'm bringing it up right now. What about keychains? Are you able to find the keychains? Yeah, the the customizable gear is just Mm. not as available so but if you're crafty you can just make it yourself i think my mom was not (laughs) (laughs) well i love it Uh, that was a beautiful tangent but before we let you go Lindsay, uh, i want to wrap up with our our standard last question which Mm -hmm. is issue an actionable personal challenge for the audience get on a bike if you're somebody who rides, go ride somewhere different. Go explore a different neighborhood. Take a friend with you, somebody who might not ride and might need that little extra nudge to get out and go for a ride. Um, and if you don't ride, fi- go grab a bike share bike and just take a ride at lunch. Go get some fresh air and just kind of um, enjoy the experience of kind of the wind on your face, two wheels. One of the reasons I ride is it makes me feel like a little kid. Go feel like a little kid. Absolutely. At lunch, do and it. With, and with the bike share, you have no excuse. You have no now. excuse. It's probably right outside your door. Go yeah. do it. And another great part, and I'm, I'm sorry, I keep coming with uh, coming up with <laughs> tangents here, but consuming a city or, or experience a city mm-hmm. on a bike is this pretty unique experience. Like we're used to either being in the car, you're moving fast, you're yep. kind of having to be completely oriented on the road. Mm-hmm. And not that you don't want to be paying attention when you're biking, mm-hmm. but you get to consume the city in a different way i i i think i talk about this all the time i i joke um i one of the i'm one of those people on a bike who is literally like talking to everybody who i'm like hey how's it going love your shirt like i love giving out random compliments while i'm riding my bike because it catches people off guard i always stop and pet really cute dogs like you can't do that when you're driving no, I, I'm a, a big believer in exploring a city by bike. It's one of the things I want Lane Spotter to help people with in the future. I have some really fun feature ideas that are going to make this. Um, it, it'll be a mapping and navigation tool, but I really want it to be an exploration tool as well. So that's 
that's on the roadmap too. That sounds like it would be a great campaign as well to say, ride more bikes, pet, pet more, more dogs. dogs. There's a direct correlation I between just, the I two. I just <laughs> posted an Instagram story yesterday that said, take the long way, pet some dogs. Like that was my day yesterday. Uh, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on the show and yeah. sharing some of your time with us Yeah, today. it was great to meet you. We just went deep with Lindsay Campbell. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Hey, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Please hit that subscribe button if you've not already done so and head on over to goingdeepwithaaron.com slash Pittsburgh to find more fantastic interviews with entrepreneurs, innovators, and leaders from Western Pennsylvania. We have a ton of fantastic episodes in our back catalog that you need to check out. And you also need to be subscribed so you can get all of our future episodes of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.